Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you on this horrible, horrible morning? It's it's very hot I- indeed. So yeah, I, I got up extra early to take Finley for a walk because he doesn't like he doesn't like uh, chasing squirrels when it's too hot. Uh, but yeah, well, it, it it won't last. It won't last. It, it, it's a bit like the way that you feel about Brighton start to the season. <laughs> yeah, it's not that, not that good. You're only a point above us. Not that good. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently watching Smudge. Bless her. Who. She's trying to uh, adjust herself so that her head, which is mainly black fur, is in the shade, and her tummy, which is mainly white fur, is in the sun. <laughs> and she's not she's not having much success. Nobody likes chasing squirrels in the hot weather, Kieran. It's just it's just it's, no one's got the energy for it, have they? But the squirrels know it. The squirrels have been taunting her. It's Newsday, Kieran. Um, there aren't that many news stories compared to the last couple of weeks, but a couple of them are very big. Uh, it, especially the first one, the story coming out of Manchester United, which has really upset Gary Neville. <laughs> yes, this was a story that was broken by Nick Harris and Alex Miller at the Mail on Sunday, um, effectively on Saturday night. And it indicated that the Glazers were thinking of pulling out of selling the club because the asking price that they felt was appropriate was was ten billion pounds, and nobody's seen that quoted before. I think the uh, the offers which had been discussed and, and were being mooted by uh, Sheikh Jazim and, and Jim Ratcliffe were in the region of five five and a half billion, so quite a long way away from from this price, which has come from nowhere, um, and. That provoked a pretty hostile reaction from the likes of Gary Neville, who is he's keen to to see the club sold, um, and of course a, a significant amount of the Manchester United fan base. Um, where they get this figure of ten billion pounds from is is somewhere which I, I can't fathom out. I, I I like a spreadsheet, as you know, and I like crunching numbers because I'm a I'm a dweeb, but. Under the Glazers, Manchester United have had pre-tax losses of £320 million over 18 years. So if you can't make a profit in 18 years, how can you persuade somebody to pay £10 billion for that particular business? So that, that just seems very odd. And then things start to get a little bit, I wouldn't say Machiavellian, but the credibility that the story has had and uh, you know nick harris who who I, you know I, I know nick think you know nick as well we both had conversations um you know he's he's from the investigative journalist side of things and, and his website sporting intel is, is somewhere which i visit quite regularly for for data uh, and other information so he's 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 not a, he's not a clickbaity type of journalist and as he said you know, we've approached Manchester United for clarification for a comment. We've we've approached the Rain Group. We've approached Sheikh Jassim and Jim Ratcliffe, and we've, we're getting nothing from nobody to, to confirm this story. So we've decided to run it. We believe our sources are good. But Manchester United is a company that is quoted on the New York Stock Exchange. 
And the reaction of the stock exchange was to immediately wipe $700 million off the value of Manchester United shares. And, and the reason for that is a lot, lot of the reason why the share price is so high is people have bought the, the shares on a speculative basis with a view to trying to flip them and sell them at a profit, presumably to Jim Ratcliffe or Sheikh Jassim. Uh, if this news has any legs, I think we could see a further substantial uh, reduction in the price um, um, unless something more crystallised comes out of uh, one, one of these uh, key parties. So it's it, it's messy. People will have lost money on the back of this. Some people will have made money. But, you know, if anybody that's watched Trading Places, uh, you know that you can, you can sell short um, on, on this type of thing. So it's all very murky. And I think it's in further indicative of, of a club which doesn't seem to know where it's heading in, in terms of direction. Our friend Martin Searle, Kieran, who does the little thumbnail reviews each week, is going to be very upset at hearing you say nothing from nobody. You know he's a stickler for the old grammar. Nothing from nobody. What I find odd about this, Kieran, I mean, it's it's not like a lot of us have had experience of selling a house or selling a car and somebody will say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you £5,000 less than your valuation. The, the, the gap between... As you say, this this out of the nowhere value of ten billion dollars uh, or ten billion pound and six billion pound, which apparently is as far as Jim Ratcliffe was prepared, is is just huge, Kieran. And it's it's not bridgeable, is it? Basically, you can't see any anyone suddenly going, oh, I'll tell you what, yeah, I can find that extra four billion pound if that's what you say it's worth. And you know, Jim Ratcliffe is very respected business person and you you would think that if anybody knew what a fair value for that club was it would be somebody like like him who you would have trusted to do all the the due diligence and research so has this 10 billion pound figure come from the club is it official or is this is this just journalists who have plucked a figure out of the air because it's extraordinarily high even for a club of the, the the size and global reach of Manchester United that's right. If, if you think that uh, Newcastle United was sold for what three hundred and five million, it's effectively saying that Manchester United is worth thirty times the amount of Newcastle. And yeah, Manchester United, as you rightly say, it's it's a global club with a huge fan base. But, but Newcastle was a you know Newcastle was a pretty decently sized club as well. Chelsea was sold for two point five billion, and there. Their property assets are in you know, the swankiest part of of swanky London, um, and you know to, to say that Manchester United is therefore worth four times the amount of Chelsea. Is it worth more? Yeah, I, I, I would. My, my gut reaction is it is, but but that element. As for where this number has come from, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the people involved who, who did the report they they, they wouldn't have signed their name off. Um, because they've got reputations to keep. And as I say, yeah, I, I, I know Nick, and he, he's one of the more uh, cautious journalists when it comes to, to what he's prepared to put his name to. So, And, and he did give, um, as we saw with you know, Adam Crafton and his revelations about Manchester United, and the group, he did give the club a right, a right of reply. He's been through the proper journalistic channels and, and nothing, but, nothing is coming back. This is... Yeah, it's it's not insider trading. Um, yeah, the club has to be has to go through the right protocols, but you also have to 
consider from the point of view of the potential bidders, Jim Ratcliffe and Sheikh Jassim's group will have spent a lot of money on accountants, lawyers, and other professionals in putting together the bids, in doing due diligence, in in getting access to the data room and going through it with a fine-tooth comb. And if Manchester United are going to turn around after, what's what, 11 months, and now say, oh, we've just decided to effectively double what we consider to be the asking price, it, it doesn't look very good. As far as where this £10 billion comes from, I think the only thing that I can think of is Manchester United have seen Barcelona, and this is a separate topic to a certain extent, they've seen Barcelona sell off the media rights. They've seen Barcelona sell off various parts of future revenue streams. And they've worked out, well, if we add up all of those bits of Barcelona, perhaps we're undervaluing Manchester United. But if they have done that, why haven't they done those sums eight or nine months ago. You know, if you or I went to look at a house and somebody says, it's, you know, well, that's, that's a nice looking house and it's got a for sale sign and they say it's a million pounds and we've only got 500,000 pounds to spend, we just walk away you know, and, and you don't take it any further. So it, it, I'm not saying it's misrepresentation by the glazers because uh, yeah, that's probably going a bit too far, but it does seem to, just to be very strange and mm. it, it's provoked fury from Manchester United fans. You did say Chelsea were in the swankiest part of London, didn't you? I did. Yes, you did. Yeah, good, good, good. That's that's good. Just wanted to clear that up because you know the other option would have been correct. Also, um, I, I, what I don't understand here does this if, if this ten billion pound valuation is is correct? Have the Glazers slapped that valuation on as an indication that they don't want to sell and they don't think anybody will match that price? And do you think it indicates, as some people are now suggesting, that the Glazers were never serious about selling the club in the first place? I think they probably were serious about selling the club for the simple reason that they've appointed the Rain Group. So at the end of this exercise, they're going to have to go and pay their professional advisors a substantial amount of money. Um where they've got this figure from, yes, I looked at the Barcelona issue. We've, I've been, I've been trying to look at other things. Manchester United tries to present itself as a tech company, as an entertainment company. Um, could it be that we've seen recently, I think in some of the preseason friendlies, where players have had uh, cameras in their shirts? Now, if you do, if you crunch the numbers, would you be willing to be Marcus Rashford or Bruno Fernandez for ninety minutes and pay five pounds for the privilege, looking looking at their eye view? Um, could we use artificial intelligence and virtual reality to to bring Old Trafford to the millions of fans that Manchester United do have, and, and who perhaps are willing to pay for the privilege of that? In which case, a, a reset of the valuation is possible, or is that going to be exactly the same as, as what we saw with three? Remember 3D TV when, when Sky introduced that probably about 10, 15 years ago, and there's a big hoo-ha about it at the time. And we, we, we sat around and we, and we got the 3D experience and, and you felt a bit nauseous after about 10 minutes <laughs> and said, that sounds like a good idea, but but never again. So, um, so there must be something behind these numbers trying to get a definitive value. So yeah, I've, I've looked at the historical numbers. There's no indication of any way of justifying this price. 
I'm not saying it's related to the, the Glazers and the ownership issue, but it does seem to be a club that's slightly unsettled at the moment with, with things happening. You know, Jaden Sancho publicly disagreeing with the manager, various other issues. They're not, they haven't started the season as well as their fans would have expected. It's, it doesn't give the aura of a happy club, does it? No, no. I mean, it, we've always said that to be successful, you have to have everybody rowing in the same direction. Yeah, and, and that's to, to punch at your weight and above. I think it could be argued that Manchester United have punched below their weight over the course of the last decade since Sir Alex Ferguson has resigned, has retired. And um, therefore, you've got to look at, at the higher levels of the club. And I, I know I, 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 people are probably bored of me saying this, but it doesn't matter what the business is. It always comes down to resources, opportunities and decision-making. Manchester United have got the resources. You know, they've got the fan base. They've got the big stadium. They've got the TV deals. They've got the sponsorship deals. They've got the opportunities because they are Manchester United. They're in the Champions League. They're in the Premier League. Um, you know, they, they, they're, in, they're, they're in many, many countries. So under those circumstances, Manchester United have got a competitive advantage against probably the rest of the Premier League. Why are they not winning things? can only be due to the quality of the decisions being made. And this isn't a football show. So, we, we, you know, yeah, there's, there's a million and one football shows we can say, well, they shouldn't have signed this player or appointed that manager or appointed Ed Woodward. Or, but it's something to do with the people making the decisions. Mm. It's always been a dream of mine, Kieran, to watch the university boat race and see somebody rowing in the wrong direction. I, I, and also to when they throw the little fella in at the end to throw him throw him landwards rather than wetwards. Uh, we sometimes uh, give the impression, Kieran, I think, on this show that we we disapprove of American ownership. Um, uh, we don't. We we disagree with American ownership with the wrong intention. But um, Norwich City look like they might be in for even more American ownership in the near future. Yes, um, a gentleman called Mark Atanasio, who owns the Milwaukee Brewers back in the good old US of A, um, did build up a, a minority stake in Norwich City um, last year. Um, I think he currently owns around 21%. Now, there is, there is a proposal and there is going to be a vote taking place amongst all of, of Norwich City's small shareholders. So Mark Atanasio will not be able to vote on this and Delia Smith will not be able to vote on this with regards to a deal which will mean that Mark Atanasio and Delia will become joint in terms of the number of shares that they own between them. It's effectively, it's going to be a sort of a, an entente cordiale, a non-aggression pact between the, the two parties, which will take us to, I think it's January 2026. Um, so that's the vote which is being put before the shareholders of Norwich City. Now, if that vote is rejected by the shareholders, where does this leave Mark Athanasio? Um, it looks as if Norwich City have some loans, which are which are at a significant, I think they're at a double-digit rate of interest. Those loans potentially could be called in um, because he has shares which which effectively pay some sort of interest. Um, as for the position of Delia Smith, you, know, you, you and I, we, we are both Delia fans. You, you've you've been there uh, in, for match of the day. 
um, purposes and, and you've been on the boardroom and, and, and the, I think the, the, the graceful way in which the club is run. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, as a former undergraduate student who went to university <laughs> with Adelia's cookbook and a saucepan, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I, I wouldn't be alive was it not for Delia Smith. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't be six foot three because I, I was very short, uh, but I kept growing at university. Um, so, you know, w- without being too rude, you know, Delia is, I think Delia is now in her 80s. Uh, in terms of succession, she she doesn't have any children. She does have a nephew who's a director on the board, but presumably she's she's got to make some form of decision with regards to sort of the long-term destination of her shares. Where does this leave Norwich City? Yeah, it, it's an interesting one because... Uh, there is no fan representation on the board, and, and I think that's something which Norwich potentially could address going forwards. Um, but is, it is a big vote. I think it probably will go through uh, because the consequences of it's not going through is that if Mark Athanasio is not in a position to put in money through not being able to buy shares, it makes you wonder who will. And now, now is he going to be a good owner or a bad owner? You know, we, we've we've had we, we've had people from not too far from Norwich on the show from the US sort of ex- expressing their views um, with regards to how they see and, uh, and uh, yeah, Ipswich uh, have had an uptick. There's no doubt about it since since the takeover. So big, it's a big vote. It's a big decision. Um, Norwich probably wants to increase the amount of money they spend on infrastructure. Delia's not in a position to be able to do that you know, uh, because... Her, her wealth, whilst high by by our standards, it isn't going to move the dial in terms of you know, sticking another five thousand uh, seats on on Carrow Row, Road. Mm. So we wait and see. Uh, two quick questions off the back of that, Kieran. Firstly, do we know when the vote's happening? And secondly, if uh, Mark Atanasio is unable to increase his stake in Norwich City, do you think he's likely to to walk away, or do you think he'll stay with a, the limited number of shares that he has? Well, the, the vote takes place on the 2nd of October. Um, okay, so a while away yet still, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it will allow, you know, it will allow presumably people to make a pitch and, and for, for views to be heard. Um, my, my gut reaction is I think the, the, the minority shareholders are more likely to take it than not take it. But, uh, you know, I, I, that's that's uh, an individual decision for, for individual shareholders to make. Um if he's not able to progress, what's the point of owning twenty one percent of Norwich City? If your if your ambition is to own a prem is well, own a Premier League football club, I, and from Mark Atanasio's position, he wants that to be Norwich City. He wants them to get get promoted and to be that owner. Um, I, I suspect he will be looking for an exit route, and. He'll be calling in any debts which are due to him, and, and any preferential shares which potentially could uh, could cause cash issues, as far as the club is concerned. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. 
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I'm intrigued by this next story, Kieran, and I'm looking forward to hearing um, what the explanation is. But there's been an unlikely financial beneficiary from Rangers' exit from the Champions League. Yes. So Rangers were in the uh, qualifiers for the Champions League and they they lost and it was not it was a poor performance. You know, again, you know, we're not going to focus on the football side of things, but they, they got a uh, they got a bit of a drubbing. Um, so therefore, they dropped down to the Europa League. And the way that UEFA distribute money is that they put it into a series of pots. Now, one of those pots is based on where you finish in the table. One of those pots is based on what UEFA refer to as their 10-year coefficient um, and, and so on. But one of those pots is also linked to the amount of money the domestic broadcaster is prepared to pay for Champions League rights. Now, in the case of uh, of the UK, we've got BT, who have the rights, which clearly has got the English teams and the SPFL clubs um, and so on. Um, that money would normally be split equally between the participating teams, or it might be split 60-40, I think, if you've got two teams and you give slightly more money to the team that finishing first as opposed to second in the SPFL. With, with Celtic qualifying for the Champions League by right through winning the SPFL last season and Rangers having to go through the uh, qualification rounds, Rangers failing to get to the Champions League means that instead of Celtic getting, I think it was 50 to 60% of, of that pot of money, they're now going to get 100%. That's worth £2.5 million. Um, so Celtic fans uh, are always quite happy to see Rangers have a poor result. But they have been major beneficiaries of Rangers' failure to to progress into the knockout rounds, sorry, into the group stages of the Champions League. And uh, that's going to, I think, further increase the gap between the two clubs, which, you know, in a a league where you don't expect anything other than one of those two clubs to win has uh, has got to be a significant benefit to, to Celtic. Mm. <clears throat> For anyone who has a, a phobia about the dentist, I can only apologise about the drilling coming from next door. It must be really upsetting some of the more scaredy cat people out there. Um, Dorking Wanderers, Kieran, are a club that we've um, we've spoken to the owner of. He's, he's, he's the owner, the manager, the kit man, the bus driver, pretty much. Um, a club who were essentially a Sunday league team not that long ago, but financially looked like they've had a big injection. Yes, so Dorking Wanderers, uh, whose uh, whose story about bringing a club from uh, park football uh, as far as they have done in, into international league, I think that's enough to inspire people to write a book about it, perhaps it, a, it, it, a, it a, a fictional team <laughs> who, who could even go even further. I, 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 I'd buy such a book. I'd buy such a book, especially if it was coming out on October the 12th, Kevin. I don't know about you. Um <laughs> Well, I'm hoping I don't have to buy it, Kieran. I'd be annoyed if I have to buy it. Well, at least, right. We should at least get one free copy each, Kieran. <laughs> um, but Dorking have now reached the stage where, uh, as you progress through the leagues, you have to um, 
spend more and more money on facilities and upgrades and there are minimum standards expected. And they've now reached the stage where they, they say, well, we've done very well in terms of our commercial deals and getting people to come to matches and so on, but we're going to give fans the opportunity to, to contribute as well. So they, they've used uh, sort of a crowdfunding organization called Cedars, where, which, which is, is, stands for Seed Capital. It's, it's allowing individuals to contribute towards something that they like. And they, they've raised over £300,000 from, I think it's 725 investors. I think they're looking in total to, to spend around about £2 million, but some of this was going to come from fans, some of this was going to come from other sources, um, to, to allow Dorking to uh, make further progress as far as they're concerned, to make sure that they are uh, next step uh, ready uh, as far as their progress is concerned. Um, and they've, they've gone through this particular... It's, it's a lot easier to write it. In, in a few, in a few, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. few paragraphs and a few pages that actually raise the money, um, and that's the that's the advantage of, of a work of fiction, of course. But but fair play to them, yeah. It clearly is a club with ambition, and uh, they they're taking this route. Well, also the other advantage of the work of fiction, Kieran, is you know exactly what's going to happen. There's none of that. Worry. Will we get into Europe? Yes, we will, because um, I'm writing the book. Therefore, we will get into it. And Kieran's, <laughs> Kieran's given me the financial wherewithal to make sure we do. And guys uh, saving loads. Of, even in the fictional world, guy saves loads of money somehow. He's tight with money. Even in the, I could have turned him into anything, but I turned him into producer guy. Um, now, the chances are, Kieran, if you live in a major European city, you might be getting a, a visit from um, some Saudi Arabians soon, although I suspect they might keep out of Liverpool for the next couple of weeks. But, um, they're, they're on a, a, a major cosy-up campaign, aren't they? Yes. Um, there's no doubt that uh, under Mohammed bin Salman's broader proposals for Saudi Arabia, um, the success of the 2022 World Cup as a televisual spectacle you could argue that you know, we're not talking about the Qatari Professional League anymore. We weren't talking a bit before the tournament. Um, Saudi Arabia wants to host the World Cup. It's it's hosted some other sort of A-grade events as far as world sport is concerned. And it's going to try to pitch. It's uh, it's t- It's got closer relations with uh, the, the African countries. And now I think there's going to be a effectively a charm offensive with regards to getting support. Um, ideally, perhaps we'll see uh, a European bid um, in 2030 and Saudi will say, well, we won't go up against that. And in return, and, and there's always been this, this element of sort of, you know, uh, of, of trading taking place historically, um, that uh, Saudi Arabia is looking to pitch for the 2034 World Cup, although uh, part of the the, com- the country's pitching for 2030 includes Spain, and given given the chaos that is currently existing at the top echelons of Spanish football at present, um, it could be argued that they might feel that it's they they need to get their house in order before they can make such a a significant uh, acquisition, which could actually open the door for Saudi Arabia to host in 2030, but. Um, it, it's, it, does it have the money to do it? Yes. Uh, does it have the influence to do that? I think what we're seeing is, is now, um, you know, it, it was mooted was that this was one of the reasons why there were no clubs from the Saudi Pro League willing to take Mason Greenwood on loan or to sign him because 
the, the broader metrics of, of wanting to host the, the FIFA World Cup um, w- w- were so much that they, they would much rather get a, a positive response from that than being seen to, to recruit Greenwood, who, who comes with issues and baggage, as, as we've seen with Getafe already. The concept of sports washing, Kieran, is an interesting one because at the moment it seems to be having, certainly for fans of football clubs, it seems to be having the opposite effect of what the Saudi Arabian government would would want because for whatever reasons, cultural, financial, there's an incredible amount of suspicion from English football fans towards Saudi Arabia, whether it's because they're doing what we've traditionally done and, and used our money to lure the best players away. Uh, whether it is cultural, uh, but you know, there was a, a visit from a Saudi Arabian delegation to Sellers Park last week for a, a, a fact-finding mission. Uh, apparently, well, what facts they would, what, you know, how to run a mid-table club and keep well, it. finding Selhurst Park will be an achievement. I'd, I've, how many more times do I have to say to people, if you live around here, it's just down the road. It's, it's a piece of piss to find Selhurst Park if you live here. It's, you, it's you, do, you do Google Maps Riyadh to Selhurst. <laughs> Yeah, that would be an expensive Uber, wouldn't it? But yeah, the, the, quite a lot of the Palace fan base, the, the HF, for example, did their nut and issued a public statement saying they better not be here to talk about investing in the club. So it's it's kind of they 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 have a lot of work to do, don't they? I mean, obviously, if you're the, the head of a, a European FA, you might be more happy to see the Saudis than the, the fans are in those countries. But it's interesting how. It, at the moment, their, their sport washing doesn't seem to be having the right effects, certainly at a, a, a lower level of football. Yes, I've always got slight reservations with regards to the concept of sports washing, because if I was one of the richest countries in the world on a, on a per member, you know, per head of population basis, which effectively is the case for a, a country such as Saudi Arabia because of its natural resources, um would I be seeking approval from the UK, from France, from the USA? Yeah, because I've got the oil. You know, so those countries need Saudi, especially given the issues that we currently have with regards to Russia and its natural resources. Um, so it it doesn't need to host the World Cup in order to get approval or to – because – even a quick meeting with, with anybody who's sort of involved in, in marketing or PR will say, this is going to bring you a lot of attention. And this is the type of attention it's going to bring. And it's not going to be positive. And we saw that with regards to what happened in Qatar and the 2022 World Cup. So yeah, in Saudi Arabia, it's going to be more of the same. Um, so I think there are broader issues that they want it because it's an opportunity to, to show off the, the facilities of the country to to use as a networking exercise to to, to sign off contracts for other industries as well. Um, it, I don't think it needs approval of, of Western football fans. Mm. Our next story, Kieran, comes from France, but it could possibly have implications for my club, Crystal Palace. This is right. Um John Texter, who is, is a part owner of Crystal Palace, became the uh, the majority shareholder in uh, on in Lyon um, last last December. Now, the the previous president, a gentleman called Jean Michel Olas, very good, um, 
had he'd been there for thirty six years. He, he'd transformed Leon. It's got a fifty nine thousand capacity stadium. It's it had it had been dominant before PSG arrived with uh, with with the support of uh, the Qatari money. It was certainly uh, one of the biggest players in French football. It's always been very substantial as far as European mm. women's football is concerned as mm. well. Um, and it looks as if there's been some form of fallout between him and John Textor to such an extent that uh, he's now managed to go to a court and to get 14.5 million euros frozen uh, in terms of the shares which were, were bought, uh, shares which were issued by the club. Uh, he, he wants some of his money back. Um, and it does indicate that his relationship with Texter appears to be going in a negative, uh, in negative format. Um, what are the implications for Crystal Palace? Well, you know, you're much closer to this particular a, a part of the story than I am. But uh, trying to work out Texter's ambitions for Palace, and, and, I, and I've read his interviews uh, in the Athletic and elsewhere, mm. where he says it's you know, all these things are independent. Um, just makes you feel slightly uneasy. You know, has he overreached himself? Uh, what is his grand vision? Where does he expect to be in five years' time with regards to his multi-club ownership model and, and so on? So it, it's messy. It's it's not good. Leon have had a, a poor start to the season. Uh, their fans are uh, quite grumpy um, as a result of that. And uh, when fans are grumpy, they, they tend to turn their attention to the manager, the players, mm. and the owner. Well, I mean, Texter stated in a recent interview that his biggest mistake was not buying Crystal Palace 100%, but that he had uh, interest in buying uh, Benfica at the same time, and it turned out he couldn't afford both. And he's making lots of noises about owning 20% of the club and having no percent influence but you, you can only be worried as a football fan when one of your owners is having financial troubles at another club this this idea of 14.5 million euros being frozen Kieran so that means that of the money I, I can't quite get my head around the concept so of the money that Leon have in the bank 14.5 million of it no longer counts it can't be used because I mean what if that money was put into the, the club by uh, Texter Right. My understanding, and I, and I might have got this wrong, is what, what's happened was that in order to buy his share in Leon, Leon Football Club issued shares to Texter, and in, and in response, Texter right. gave money to the okay. club. So what um, Jean-Michel Olas has done is said, well, some of that money's still around. I'm going to have that ring fenced. It cannot be used for other projects. It cannot right, be okay. used to pay the wages. It cannot be used to pay right. the rent and so on. Effectively putting pressure back on to Texter to uh, resolve the what would appear to be some form of dispute between the two parties. Um, and, and it's, you know, it, 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 it's... It's a negotiation tactic. You know, you, you play your cards appropriately, and, and if you've got, uh, if if you've got a bit of uh, of muscle to to bring into the equation, that's that's the approach which has been taken here. Uh, I believe Jean Michel Olas has also uh, gone to court to try and get a, a transfer embargo on Lyon as well. So this is a story that's only going to get messier. Um, and talking of messy stories, Kieran, our penultimate story 
is again something we speak about in the book, which is nefarious ways that people try and get hold of broadcasting contracts. So this news coming out of America is very interesting, news coming from the American court. Yes, uh, this is in respect of a gentleman called uh, Hernan Lopez, who used to work for Fox Sports. Now, the allegation that was made and the charges of which he was found guilty a few months ago was in respect to bribing officials, money laundering and wire fraud. I've never quite understood what wire fraud is, um, but, but I, well, think I, I presume it's, it's sending money. I know what it was when I was a, when I was working as a builder. It was it was telling people that this wire was genuine copper. That's <laughs> when it was when it was nothing of the sort. I'm going to have to charge you all for this wire, genuine copper. This wire, love. <laughs> um, so he was found guilty, I think, in March or April, uh, and this is in respect to using these these methods to generate uh, the rights, I think partly for the FIFA World Cup, but also for the Copa Libertadores, uh, which is the the South American equivalent of the Euros. Um, And on the basis of that, uh, Fox managed to get those rights. Now, Fox has not been charged. It, It is against the individual. What we now have seen is that following a Supreme Court ruling, which is effectively said, and I'm not going to get too too bogged down in the legal issues here because a, um, a, a it's, it's yeah we're finance and not law and b we are pub lawyers at most. <laughs> um, a, a U.S. Supreme Court, and clearly there have been changes in the Supreme Court when when Donald Trump was there, so that there is now sort of majority in what you might call the conservative uh, element of, uh, of of legal counsel um, that the US cannot effectively get involved in what it considers to be international disputes relating to other countries. So as this relates to, to FIFA, which is based in Switzerland, and the, the American, sort of the South American uh, championships, which again, nothing to do with the US, even though it involved a US company, and that was the vehicle which was used, it's saying, we think that's outside our our statute. That's outside our, our box. And a local judge has, on the basis of that, has has uh, found out that Hernan Lopez is now going to be deemed to be innocent of the charges. Uh, where this will involve future bids for football rights, which are lucrative, um, I think it was interesting that the US and the FBI effectively took FIFA on with regards to how it had been operating historically, uh, and yeah, there's been there's a lot of heads have rolled at FIFA following mm. the award of both the Russia 2018 and the Qatar 22 World Cup. So that's that, that's where we are. So yeah, I'm not saying it's uh, it's carte blanche uh, if you want to to bribe football officials because it's wrong. Uh, but you're not going to be able to, uh, the authorities are not going to be able to use the US courts as a means of, of taking this up. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said it's wrong there, Kieran. The producer guy would have been very upset if you didn't add that little caveat that it's wrong, bribing, <laughs> don't go bribing officials. It must have been nice, Kieran, for a US court to have a, a half-hour Trump-free window. It's just <laughs> yes. a, oh, this is, an, this is an interesting change. 
<laughs> We've got just some international bribery. Are you sure that's not true? Anyway. As we speak, Kieran, our final story, um, the, the Saudi Arabian transfer window is, is still open. So there's probably a nervous couple of days ahead for Liverpool fans as Mo Salah debates his future. But uh, his commercial company has just published its accounts, Kieran. Yes. And we've just seen Jordan Henderson have what can only be described as a car crash of an interview yeah. with... Yeah. Uh, with the athletic and Adam Crafton, who, who you know, we, we, we praised in relation to his Manchester United investigative, uh, he he did one with, with David Ormstein, and I think it's fair to say that Jordan Henderson has not come out of this particularly well, yeah. uh, in exactly the same way as the LIV golfers who were saying no, nothing to do with money. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I've I've got Jordan Henderson's accounts on his companies, of course, because. That's what I do. He's he already has substantial amounts of money, but for those Liverpool fans thinking, well, do we think that Mo Salah needs the cash? Um, if you go to the accounts of Salah UK Commercial, which is his effectively is is his company which deals, I think, with his intellectual property and so yeah. on, um, that produced its accounts last week. And looking here, it's got £20,182,000 in the bank. Wow. So he probably doesn't need the cash either. Mm-hmm. Now, if he makes that decision, uh, if Liverpool make that decision, that's a separate issue. But I, I think for people to say that, uh, that he, he needs the money which is probably pushing things. He's a fantastic footballer. Uh, you know, this isn't a football show. I think he's a fantastic footballer. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's been brilliant for Liverpool, but he's got £20 million in the bank. And that's just one account, and he's got other companies as well. So he's been very successful on the basis of his career at Liverpool and elsewhere, of course, to date. Yeah, fair play to him. I hope hope he stays, actually. I I love watching Mo Salah, except twice a season, obviously, when I can't stand him. Uh, He's a grinning footballer. against us as well. Yeah, yeah. By all accounts, he's um, a thoroughly decent chap as well. Um, Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. And you can do so by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you pay the top dollar, £5 a month, you get to be an ultra. There you go. Some of you have always wanted to be an ultra. Some middle-class accountants out there going, I've always wanted to be an ultra. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And finally, if you'd like to pre-order our new book, which I think we may have mentioned occasionally, Unfit and Improper Persons, An Idiot's Guide to Owning a Football Club, or one of our other books, or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, then go to our new look website at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with a questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you, everybody at Patreon for, for the support you give to us um, and everybody else that, that's been in contact. Uh, we, we, we do take it on board. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday. I think this is National Colour Blindness Awareness Day, by the way. Um, is it? Oh, which, I'm which sorry. Is where I'm, uh, why I'm wearing a black T-shirt? Because oh, you, I don't yes, have too many yes. problems with that. Um, right. Are you sure you're wearing a black? You, you knew it was black when you put it on. Well, yeah. If not, it's dark blue. Which oh, okay. is the same right, as black, okay. as far as I'm concerned. Right. Um, 
But there's other ways that you can support the show. You can give us a review by all accounts. Uh, according to Producer Guy, it helps us in the charts, helps us with algorithms. And well, I, I like algorithms. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by John Texter, part <laughs> owner of Crystal Palace Football Club, <laughs> and Den Hegarty of Darts. <laughs> I think... Mainly, wow. he, he can go bong, and that's what that's what I love Den Hegarty for. Was he was wow? That's a that's a name from the. Was he the the big one? He was the big one. Yeah, Den Hegarty from oh my word, yeah, Mudwood's just from just down the road from us. Den Hegarty. Um, I can't let this pod uh, go, Kira, without thanking our listener uh, who pointed out what what an opportunity we missed. Uh, we never miss many chances to crowbar in Smith's lyrics. That you signed Brighton signed a player called Fatty, and we didn't. You didn't get to. You didn't do it, Kieran. Would you, would you like to rectify that omission now? Uh, well, well, yes. Uh, you're the one for me, Fatty, or Lip yeah. Up Fatty, of course. From Bad Manners <laughs> was another alternative. Um, yes, uh, that was that was a, a lost chance by me, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. I, I, I know Brighton fans are not prone to singing, Kieran. It's at the odd choral even song, I imagine. But I, I would love to see the whole of uh, the Amex singing You're the One for Me, Fatty. <laughs> uh, Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.